Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivulani. As Raise the Line continues to focus on the healthcare provider burnout crisis, we turn our attention today to an exciting approach to tackling a mundane problem, paperwork. Surveys show documentation is the number one pain point for overworked, burnout physicians, with doctors reporting that they spend twice as much time on paperwork as they do seeing patients. Today's guest, Punit Singh Soni, is founder and CEO of a company called Suki that offers AI-powered voice solutions for healthcare, resulting in major reductions in the burden of documentation. Before starting Suki, he was a product manager at Google and chief product officer at Flipkart. So Punit, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. And so we like to start off with a pretty basic question to level set our audience. How did you get interested in technology and then ultimately healthcare? I'm an engineer by training and I started in Google relatively early in my career and was in search team in the early days of the company. And then one thing led to the other ended up actually running mobile apps product management there for some time, which was basically an induction into the consumer end of the business. So did a bunch of different things, did mobile gaming, social networking. When we acquired Motorola, I was asked to go run software there. And then before I started Suki, I ended up going to India where I was the chief product officer of India's largest e-commerce company. So I guess it's only logical that I'm doing healthcare now. I got interested in starting Suki because uh, when I finished my Flipkart gig, I wanted to do something where time would be a superpower. Uh, And what that means is that if you put in enough time and resources, it would actually really lead to something tremendous. And certain areas more than others actually demand that kind of time and resources. Healthcare is definitely one of them. So when you start looking at healthcare, then one of the biggest public health crises in the country that very few people talk about is this issue of clinical burnout. So we started Suki with the idea of using voice as a tech trend that could actually help impact clinical burnout. A lot more to that, but that's at least the high level of why we started the company. Let's get into that because voice is very exciting ever since obviously Alexa and Siri and Cortana all popularized voice-based applications. One of our favorite thought leaders in the space is Scott Galloway, who talks about voice being the actual metaverse and you know, AirPods being a very valuable company in that space. So Nuance, Microsoft, they're going into voice-based AI for healthcare applications. Ellipsis, we had Minel Modalon, who you may know, uh, is doing some voice-based applications for psychiatry. Would love to hear what's like kind of the unique proposition of Suki and how do you differentiate and maybe talk more about the killer application of documentation? I think that it's important to reiterate what is the mission of the company. Suki's mission is to make healthcare tech assistive and invisible so that you can allow doctors to do what they're good at, which is focusing on clinical work. The product that we started off by building was a voice-based digital assistant called Suki. And the first skill of Suki was clinical documentation. But the ambition of Suki is much more widespread. These are just different workflows that can make things better. At the end of the day, voice is today where mobile was in 2005, 2006. When we were starting to look at mobile in Google and think about the idea of building mobile apps and Android and all of that, there was this sense that in a few years, mobile would become the predominant form factor that everybody would use. It would be the predominant user interface of technology. I believe that that's what's going to happen to voice. Voice is going to become the next generation of user interaction model for technology. 
And in places like consumer tech, where you're seeing Alexa and Cortana and Siri and Google Assistant kind of do what it's doing, you're going to see what that's doing is it's creating market permission. It's enabling people to learn that it's possible to use voice to actually do a lot of use cases. Now, the interesting part of this is that as interesting as consumer voice experiences are, there's basically three or four things we do with our voice assistant. You know, play a song, check out the weather, check time, set up timers, things like that. In more constrained enterprise settings, you can do a lot more because the number of workflows that you have to do are very limited and you have to do them repeatably. The ontology that you're dealing with is much more fixed. And so therefore the chances of accuracy are much higher. And then especially in healthcare, doctors are actually trained in medical school to speak in a much more structured, thoughtful fashion, which actually lends itself very well for voice experiences. So uh, the summary is voice is the next user interaction model of technology. We believe that Consumer tech has just created market permission and, and accessibility for people to consider voice to be used widely. Healthcare tech is, is absolutely primed because of the various vagaries of healthcare to be the perfect area where voice can actually have a huge dent. And then finally, as you see Nuance and M-Model who have been basically the last generation's players playing in this, Voice tech has now improved, you know, there are deep learning models, intent extractors that understand what you're saying, if you say it flexibly also, all of that can be actually used in a way to build the next generation of voice experiences. So the last generation was dictation, the next generation and the current generation is command and control, but there's another generation that'll come after that, which will be ambient. And the idea is there are going to be very large, significant companies built as every generation of this voice experience comes to fore. Suki is just basically one of the latest ones in this space. That's fantastic. And so can you talk to us a bit about the three to four specific applications? I mean, that's where you started Suki with, but to kind of paint a real world picture about how it's being used by clinicians or in the healthcare system, maybe give us some of those examples. And maybe if you can categorize them based on, you know, the initial dictation versus command and control versus what you're doing, what features you're working on that will eventually enable the ambient flow. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do that. I think, look, Shiv, the key part of voice, building voice experiences is you need to build what I call a MDP, a minimum delightable product. What is the smallest product you can build that can actually complete a workflow end-to-end in a way that's consistent and repeatable? Voice, you know, is prone to its vagaries. You say, what's my day like? It should understand that basically you're asking for your schedule. You say it in a slightly slurry way. There was, a, you know, some noise in the background. The mic was not close to you and suddenly it's not going to understand. So there is a lot of complexity in basically making sure that voice experience are consistent. Now, when we started building the Suki Assistant, the first feature we focused on was clinical documentation. The reason is that about 30 to 40% of all time taken in administrative work that doctors do is in taking notes. So the idea that you can say things like, hey, create a new clinical note for Jane Roberts, insert my normal review system, change this particular aspect of this, insert a surgical consent, prescribe this particular medicine, Suki stop, I'm done, and push it automatically to the EMR. Seems very logical. It seems very obvious. Instead of typing, instead of dictating, you can just say, talk to it as if it's a clinical partner, and it'll generate the note based on what's learned from your prior patient encounters. That's first feature, first skill. Another skill that we built after that was as you were starting to do the note, it would extract these 
codes called ICD-10 codes, for example, and put them into the right place in the EMR. These codes associated with the problems is how doctors get reimbursed. So now you have actually really done a much better capture of exactly what the doctor had captured and put it as data so that the loop of revenue can be created too. Then the logical area to go into was show me commands. Hey, what medications is this patient taking? Uh, can you tell me if this patient has any allergies? Bring me a summary of their past medical history. We just launched that a few weeks ago where that became a third skill to look at. But now you have a fourth skill that could come later on where we start doing orders. Prescribe this medicine, prescribe a lab order, prescribe a flu shot. And then you can go to inbox management. The, all those pings that you give, send doctors saying here, you know, can you update my medication or send me another batch, etc. can all be automated using voice. So if you start looking at all of these, you know, documentation, coding, order entry, inbox management, show me commands, clinical decision support, clinical decision optimization, every single one of this share is a one to $10 billion industry of its own. So now you're talking about a world where you can take these amazingly complicated workflows and automate them simply using voice. What Suki has a chance of becoming is basically the next generation of an assistive platform on which a lot of healthcare interactions sit inherently making healthcare tech assistive and invisible so that doctors can do what they do best. So that hopefully gives you a summary of the ambition of the company and what kind of workflows are possible. That's incredible. And certainly one reason we like having people like you on the podcast is because, you know, there's a famous Wayne Gretzky quote of you want to skate where the puck is headed, not where it is right now. The people who are listening to this, many of them are currently medical students. By the time they're practicing residency or post, they should be using these technologies in their workflows. And so going into that, how do you see Suki growing? Like, is it a B2C product like Flipkart e-commerce or is it B2B? Are you working with the health systems directly? Tell us a bit more about where you are as a company and then kind of the growth path ahead. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, the interesting thing, Shiv, is that one of the things that surprised me when I got into this space you know, obviously when you spend your time building mobile apps and games and social networking products or e-commerce products or new phones like Moto X and Moto G and others, then you kind of get used to this idea that you're always in the center of whatever is the cool thing of that particular time. You get into healthcare tech and it looks like this staid, somewhat boring, like slow moving field. It surprises me because in my opinion, this is the sexiest area to be in the biggest technology company ever built is going to be in healthcare. Okay. I don't know when that will be. Will it be in five years or 10 years or 15 years? But the idea that a sector is 20% of US GDP, five to 7% of every country in the world's GDP, you need it when you're born, you need it when you die, you need it all throughout. The idea that there's not a technology company of the size of a Google or an Amazon or a Netflix or a Microsoft in this space seems ridiculous. So it's just a matter of time. For me, the first part is that if I was going to build a company, then might as well muck around in a space where you think the next biggest, large, huge technology revolution is going to happen in. And then the idea that you can build an assistive platform that can actually start like making real immediate impact on the users made a lot more sense to me. And then the question was, how do you get that technology once you build it in the hands of users? We probably took what I call one of the most difficult go-to-markets that exists in business, which is to sell to health systems. Bad news is it's really hard. Uh, sales cycles are painful. 
there are six levels of bureaucracy on every one of these things. So you would be surprised to know that for every one doctor, there are three administrative people in US. Good news is that when you actually can add value, focus on the user and get on the other side of that sales cycle, you actually are really well positioned to create significant impact and are entrenched in the system. So we have focused our energies on basically going after these super large health systems and creating serious value for them. We have made it, our product accessible to independent clinics and small SMB doctor setups also. If they want to use the product, they can ping us. Two-week free trial, you like it, you start paying. But what happened as a part of doing this is that we ended up actually building this world-class speech technology, which became a part of Suki speech platform, which then other healthcare tech companies came to us and said, can we add voice to our products using this platform? So now we have two businesses, a Suki assistant and a Suki speech platform, both in service of making healthcare tech assistive and invisible. How does it grow? To be honest, you can do go-to-market, you can make sure that you actually sell to the right places, you can price it and all of that, but really a company's fortune is written in serving its users. And so making sure that you have a very good sense of what doctors want and making sure that we can give them technology that for a change actually makes their life better is a very key part of the philosophy of this company. And if we do that right, the company has no boundaries in terms of growth. Yeah, 100% staying very focused on the net promoter score of the end users. You know, we've talked a lot about doctors who are obviously the most, right now, the most influential clinical unit at the basis of a healthcare system. But obviously there's more and more scope of practice, nurse practitioners, physician assistants. I assume these applications can work across up and down the spectrum, maybe even all the way to patients. Are patients using Suki for any reasons, education, or I know one of the patents Amazon got a lot of interest in was when they were able to patent being able to analyze people's voices and understanding if they're sick and then maybe recommending different things for a cold that they may have via the e-commerce platform. And given your e-commerce roots, I'm curious, have you thought a lot about not just physician-focused use cases for Suki, but then going, again, up and down the clinical spectrum all the way down to patients? Yeah, very good question. I mean, the first focus of the company's clinicians, we usually say internally that every pixel in this company is in the service of the doctor. But when we say doctor, we mean clinicians. So you are talking about doctors, you are talking about MAs, you're talking about PAs, you're talking about nurses. All of them are people that we intend to serve. When you get to a point where you have built a product that can serve them effectively, there are extensions to that. The idea that the doctor can create a clinical note in a thoughtful way it can also be then used to allow the patient to have access to their medical data. The idea that a doctor can create a plan for a particular patient can also mean that plan information can be used to provide education to the user on how to actually take care of their own health. So there is a world in which I think Suki will be a very good product and have the right data to be used in patient settings, but not right now. Right now, we've, our focus is clinicians. You have to remember in 2016, if you took a look at all the solutions that are used just for clinical documentation, which is one of the skills of Suki, then the net spend was approximately $10 billion just in US. So the idea that we are spending all this money on just writing notes, you could probably use a chunk of that money and make core healthcare better. So we have a very, very, very long way to go. And you know the key thing, for a company with that kind of ambition is to be very focused on who the user is and make sure that they build product for that. And today it's clinicians and it's in making sure that their administrative burden is decreased.
Absolutely. And so let's talk about as well, like the form factor. So is the Suki ISWC software, it can live on many different form factors, but is there like a mobile app that the physicians carry around with them? Is that the primary use or the waiting rooms or the examination rooms have built-in speakers that connect to the hospital system? Like how, or is it all of the above and they, it just magically syncs between all of these? How- yeah, no, very good question. I mean, to be honest, there are two points to make here. We learned very quickly that adding any kind of capital investment and humans, what I call humans and hardware into the system is a recipe for significant pain later on. If you basically build a product where you have to put a physical speaker in the room, deploy speakers, send it to a low cost location, have a human being then type notes into it. Now you're dealing with large cadres of humans and you're dealing with large amount of inventory of hardware. And scaling that is not easy at all. It's not like a software solution. In fact, I somewhat mildly joke around saying that a human-based services business is a low-margin, difficult business to scale. Hardware business is a low-margin, difficult business to scale. Healthcare is a low-margin, difficult business to scale. It's like the holy hell of Trinity to actually like Trinity of health to like create like healthcare, humans, and hardware in like one loop for a product. And so we have constrained ourselves by never using a human or using any custom hardware for our product. The second part of this is we have learned that it is important that you meet the doctors where they are. This is a constituency that if you try to tell them this is exactly how you want to do things, they're not going to get it. They have been doing clinical practice for like decades and they have a style and a way of doing it. So what you really want is a product that can adjust to whatever their style is. And one way to do it is to make sure that it's available wherever they are. So Suki is an iOS app. Suki is an Android app. Suki can be used on computers as a web app. Suki can be used in PCs as a Windows application. All of these work with each other. All of these have similar commands. All of these are interoperable over time. And so basically you log into your laptop, you're sitting at lunch break, you click on the badge, you start talking to Suki. Then you walk between patients and you pick up your phone and you basically say, who's my next patient? Give me that information. Then you go over somewhere and you're sitting at a computer and you decide to click on a badge and just dictate something. That's all of it is just Suki. It doesn't matter where you actually access it. We have seen a lot of doctors actually just freed up by the mobility. You know, people using it oddly enough to check on their notes in baseball games, you know, using it, not that we recommend it, but some percentage of them use it while they're driving, you know, Hey, who's my next patient, create a new clinical note, change this one thing about this, prescribe that I'm done. Let's go to the next patient. So you end up actually just meeting them where they are. Yeah, that's wonderful. It goes back to your first comment about the commonality between building any great company, especially in tech, is is user experience and making sure that's taken care of. And then the go-to-market, you have to be mindful of, but there's no go-to-market if there's no wonderful product behind there. So yeah, if you don't have a core product, if you don't have users who believe in the product, if you don't know who your user is, then no amount of business savviness on how you're going to sell the product is going to save you in the long term. In long run. Yeah, exactly. I know we're coming up on time, so I just had a couple other quick questions. The first is, as you may know, Osmosis is a health and education company. We like to fill in knowledge gaps. And I'm curious if you could snap your fingers and fill in a knowledge gap for anybody in, interested in healthcare, whether they're going to be on the clinical side or the administrative side, you know, what is one thing you'd want them to know that would maybe help Suki grow or just in general help make the healthcare system more efficient? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, what I would probably talk about is the idea of how do you intermesh and respect clinical and technical cultures. 
there is a lot of smart people in medicine they have an amazing mission that they are working on uh, there's a lot of students who actually look at these blogs and think about building careers in in medicine the truth is that whatever you're going to do in medicine is going to be interwoven with technology in the near future now what has happened historically is there is a good i would say hardy sprinkling of arrogance between both kinds of people you know clinical people kind of think of technology as it and what's the big deal you know you have to understand our flow and the tech is just it and you talk to technology people and they're like the fact that they're using all these crappy software means that they probably don't know what tech means they who are these people you know they don't understand tech at all and so this mutual arrogance has created basically some of the mess we have today where you notice there's these technology systems that are so antiquated and difficult to use and doctors who think that they actually know exactly how to solve the problem but don't think of technology as a real tool but as just it systems if there was something i would tell people who are listening to this the key barrier to building thoughtful technology that actually really enhances healthcare tech is in having respect for both cultures there is a culture of clinical a professionalism and there is a culture of technical professionalism and there are two different kinds one can be actually structured at some hierarchy but with a very strong mission orientation another one can actually be very flat with this idea that not everything is fixed you can try different things and you will end up on the other side and a great belief that tech can actually be the solution to most evils neither of them are completely right so finding a way to balance that and for all those who are listening to this understanding and having mutual respect for the other side is super critical if you want to actually really take healthcare to the next level absolutely and, and that that course or whatever uh, experiential course could be developed for that would be useful not just for healthcare technology and innovations in any field but clearly society <laughs> you know we could talk about mutual respect between all sorts of groups that are right now are warring you're exactly right shiv and sorry if i interrupted oh, you there, there is a reason why the largest technology companies in the market today in our generation have not been able to crack healthcare there is also reason why the largest healthcare systems in the on the market have technology that is like 10 years behind the technology my mobile developers used to use when they were building games 10 years i think the reason is that we all need to have a lot more significant understanding and know that the next generation of people working in this are going to be both clinical and technical in nature so to me the barrier to building the greatest healthcare tech company ever built is basically in the marriage of these two cultures and good news is that there's a lot of people who are interested in it so we are all firmly on the way of doing that that's awesome yeah i love that and informatics itself is now a, a subspecialty a clinical informatics people can go into which obviously you probably have people out of this field all the time my last question an open ended one is just you know that's obviously some good advice for anyone listening to this who's coming from the tech side or the healthcare side how to how to have that empathy and merge and do something meaningful as part of a company like suki or or starting their own if they want to what other advice would you give to an early stage student who's interested in a career in healthcare technology um i would say that learning the basics of what exactly is the core problem you're solving is important let's say you want to actually start a company or you actually want to join a company or you want to join a system because you think that working as a part of the tech setup will actually allow you to provide the most impact you want to provide i would really ask yourself who are you serving and do you really want to serve them and if you really want to serve them then what are the two or three main problems they face 
having that kind of what I call almost consumer product management lens to your career allows you to clarify a lot of things. What happens a lot of times is people want to get into this space. They go and they get completely bogged down in this system and the bureaucracies of current present. But if you actually have the orientation of what is it that your user needs and how you're going to solve that, there's a shot that you'll make choices that will be much more satisfying for you. Whether that is a part of a company like Suki or other companies like us, whether it is a part of a modern future-facing healthcare system that you think has a subgroup that you can work with, or it is actually just simply a part of picking up the education stream that can allow you to learn a lot more of this. To me, user centricity is super important, not just in building companies, but also crafting careers. Absolutely. Really, really great advice for anyone interested in their career and making a real impact on the world. Is there anything else that you wish uh, I would have asked that you want our audience to know about before we let you go? No, you actually asked most of the things that we wanted to discuss. The primary thing I'll reiterate to everybody is clinical burnout is the biggest public health crisis that very few people talk about today. Not only does it actually hurt doctors, nurses, MAs, and PAs, but it also reduces the quality of data that we have on our platform, which inherently has huge impacts on healthcare innovation. It leads to a degradation and distraction in quality of patient care, which has healthcare negatives. And then on top of it, all the money spent in tiding over this inefficiency is just money that should be spent on healthcare. We spent so much money on systems that run healthcare that we spend probably less money on actual healthcare. So for everybody who's listening, this is an area that's actually totally worth your time. In my opinion, some of the most seminal companies of the next generation will be built in this space, and they will probably be the seed to building some really thoughtful, real technology companies that can make healthcare tech better. So give it your attention. That's all I will say. Give it the attention and come up with solutions. This is a space that's worth your time. I love it. Thanks so much for that. And it's very motivating. Obviously, the reason we even call this podcast Raise the Line is we want to improve the healthcare system. And one of the core reasons is we can train hundreds of thousands, millions more healthcare professionals. But if it's a leaky bucket and people are burning out because of systemic issues like how insurance works and how they spend more time in front of a screen than in front of a patient, those are real public health problems, as you mentioned. And everyone thinks about it in a very deterministic or binary way. You either have someone practicing or not practicing. It's much more probabilistic because in the weeks and months leading up to someone burning out or having enough moral injury to leave, you know that for those weeks and months, they're dragging their feet. They aren't as effective clinicians as they hope to be. So it isn't just we lost 100,000 physicians this year to burnout or whatever it may be. It's you know, hundreds of thousands have been ineffective because of these problems. So I really wish you the best of luck with growing Suki. It's a really important problem you're solving. And hopefully many of our learners will not only contribute to what you're doing, but also be end users for the sake of all of us in healthcare. Thank you. I appreciate your questions. And I think you have a very thoughtful point of view and a great vantage view, actually, of all the issues that we're trying to deal with. So appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Thank you again, Poonit, and good luck with it. And with that, I'm Shivaglani. Thanks to our audience for listening to today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise line. We're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.